Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, congratulations to Devin White. This was the most non-news story of the year, probably, but the Bucks picked up his fifth-year option, and that means that Devin White is not going to be a free agent this year, as we know, and instead um, he gets a nice pile of change. $11.706 million in 222 is going to come his way, uh, 2022, and uh, he's already made some nearly $30 million over the first four years of his contract. Uh, White did not I, – I thought he took a step back. Uh, look, I, I had this guy pegged for Defensive Player of the Year when the season began last year, and that was based largely on just all the plays he made, not only during the season but his postseason. I mean, this guy was as much the reason they won the Super Bowl as Tom Brady. Think about that now. Listen to me. Devin White's play in the postseason was as much the reason they won a Super Bowl as what Tom Brady did. And I will explain. They go to New Orleans. They're down by seven. They're in the third quarter. New Orleans has the ball on their 40-yard line with Jared Cook running away into their, you know, into their half of the field when Antoine Winfield Jr. spikes or strips the ball and Devin White picks it up and returns it back into the plus side of the field. They go down, score a touchdown, tie the game. Then Devin White had an interception um, later in that game of Drew Brees which led to another interception by Mike Edwards to seal it. They scored off those plays. He almost scored on, on his one interception. It was on nearly a pick six. This guy was a monster, and without that New Orleans game, that really, to me, was their toughest game. I know they went to Green Bay and they went to Lambeau, and at Lambeau he was exceptional as well on defense. And then in the Super Bowl, I thought you know the defensive line probably starred in that game, but Devin White did a nice job as well. He had the game-sealing interception in that so he caused a lot of turnovers. Um, he, he you know, recovered fumbles. He had nine sacks throughout the year. But then last year, not the same guy. And I don't, I don't know what to attribute it to. I think there's a lot of things you can you know, make excuses for. Um, one is, how do you handle the offseason? You know, he was recognized on a national stage uh, in the NFL, which is different than, than being recognized at LSU. He had a lot of opportunities. He did a lot of promotions for Pepsi and others. Uh, they did a movie of him, of his life, on uh, NFL 360, which was terrific, but it was time-consuming. Uh, he bought, I believe, uh, a, a home, a stable for his horses. He did a lot of stuff. And you just wonder how much of that took away from his offseason with respect to focusing on football. Uh, and then the season began, and he wasn't the same guy. Now, part of it, I think, was because they had so many injuries in the secondary mm-hmm. that Devin White was forced to cover guys, and that's not his his skill. They weren't able to blitz him as much, and that's where the sacks came from. So he went from nine sacks to three and a half. He just didn't look like the same guy, Steve. He didn't, but I, I think there's a few other factors of this, too. Mm-hmm. I, I think Levante David missed some time last season. He did. That's a great point. And, and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about Devin White and – if you remember back, think of the Lightning five, six years ago. 
mm-hmm. when Victor Hedman was starting to become that elite defenseman. Right. Who was his partner? It was Anton Strawman. Mm-hmm. That allowed Victor Hedman to really push forward offensively and take some chances. And yeah. sometimes sometimes they worked, sometimes they didn't. And that was part of it's part of the growth of Victor Hedman. Yeah. Because Anton Strawman was back there and can clean everything up. Mm-hmm. You know, it was that steady force. And Levante David is kind of that way with Devin White. He, and, absolutely. And Levante missed some time and was hurt and played hurt a few games. Yeah. And, and that impacted it. I also think that other teams watched the playoffs the year before mm-hmm. and saw what an impact Devin White was. Yeah. And now you game plan for him. That's right. His rookie year, they weren't game planning, planning for Devin White. Right. But offenses in his second year, as you're touting as a potential defensive player of the year, and he had a tremendous rookie year, and you expect exactly, him to be actually better. Thir- it's actually his third year. Or third year, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the defenses are now game planning for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're going, we got to watch that guy, or we've got to try to fool that guy, or we've yeah. got to put him into positions he's not comfortable with, covering a guy, right. et cetera. And so now it's up to Devin to make those adjustments better. back, to get better, yeah. mm-hmm. and to make the adjustments to make sure he's making the right reads and not making the same mistakes over and over as yeah. he's now in his, what, uh, coming up on his fifth year Fifth now. year. Yeah, he's got to mature as a player. I think you make all great points. One of those is that the Bucks were attacked totally different this past season on offense, everybody went for the perimeter. They were going to make those big guys in the middle, the Vita Veas and Domicon Sues, try to wear them down by making them run sideline to sideline. They knew they couldn't run the football inside. So everything was getting tossed to the perimeter. Um, that that makes sure your uh, linebackers have to scrape and, and, and find ways to shoot the gaps. Devin is a very instinctive player. And what I mean by that is his instincts are usually right, but not always. He will take chances. He will shoot the gaps. He will do like you talked about. His his biggest uh, asset has been that Levante David, I call him the eraser. He erases all those mistakes because Levante is able to go on top. If Devin shoots the wrong gap, somehow Levante is able to get over top of, of the block and, and still make the tackle and prevent what is going to be a breakout play. Without Levante David, they're not able to do that. So Devin would still try to take those chances, try to make the tackles for losses. And he missed a lot of tackles last year, which he typically didn't do the year before. Um, you know, he had guys in his, in his grasp and, and, and let them out. And you just don't get the same sort of coverage with Kevin Minter behind you. And I like Kevin Minter, um, but he's not Levante David for a reason. The other thing teams did was they would force Devin into coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his responsibility is the running back, first and foremost, in coverage. Well, they would split the running backs out and take Devin out of the middle of the field. Well, you do two things when you do that. One, it's a matchup problem, right, because he's got to cover a running back, and, and he's not, that's not his strength. So you make him do something he's not great at. And two, you, you, you take him out of the middle of the field. You know, you, it's one less guy that can run, uh, and, and you, can, you, you can run tosses the other way. You can do, you know, throw, it, throw it quick the other way if you want to and just try to account for him that way. So, so they did game plan him. Uh, Levante was absolutely a factor. The other thing was they had so many injuries in the secundary that when they did, they forced the, and this is what Bowles did, not, not the opponent, but Todd Bowles was forced to make Devin cover tight ends and, and, and cut and drop into coverage more to prevent the ball from going over their heads. Um, the, the corners were going to play off. Uh, they were going to have some underneath abilities, you know, and they, wa- they wanted Devin to come up and make hits after the catch. And so 
you know, that, that took away his ability to blitz. I mean, where Devin had all those sacks was on third down. They'd walk him into the A-gap, and, you know, he, he'd get after the quarterback. Um, and he just didn't have that many opportunities to do that, again, in part because Levante David was out. They like to blitz those two linebackers together uh, in the A-gaps on third down. So, yeah, a lot changed, but he will tell you, and the Bucks coaches have told us, that it wasn't his best year. And I think, I think the key is what you said. He's got to get in the film room. He's got to make adjustments. He's got to understand what teams are doing to him. And you, can, you still want to play with the same fire. You still want to play with the same mm-hmm. sort of aggressiveness. But you gotta, it's got to be smart. Like, you, you, can't, you can't guess. His guesses have to, have to be you know, calculated risks more than just, hey, I'm going to shoot this gap. I'm going to go for this play action. I'm going to get sucked up. You know, I just, I'm playing on instincts. He needs mm-hmm. to play on film and understand what teams are trying to do to him and then counter it. But it's those mistakes that are going to make him better. If he learns Absolutely. from it and gets in the film room. I mean, you know, we saw Hedman make those mistakes, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, but he had someone back there to help clean it up. So you didn't notice it all the time or it didn't end up in a, a, sure. a big time negative play. And, and, and I think Devin White's the same way. And that's, you know, that's when we talk about experience in sports, yeah. it doesn't matter the yeah. sport. Yeah. It's understanding when to take those chances, when not to. That's right. When it's calculated, when, when to to go all out when to, you know, and it's, that's what that experience gives you that, that you can only learn through the, through playing it. I mean, it's, sure. you can watch film all day long. Sure. But until you're actually on the field doing it, that's where you're going to learn it. And, and now it's up to him to take that next step. Yeah. And I know guys that can watch film all day long and not know what they're watching. There's an art to well, watching film. You know, Ron DeBarbera was one of those guys that would tell you that. And he watched more than anybody because Heck, I got guys in there with me, you know, and, and they can sit as long as I do in front of a projector, but if they don't know what they're looking at, it's not going to help them. So he's got to become more of a student of, of the pro football game. You know, he's made it this far on his, on his athletic ability, on his, uh, his fire, on his motor, uh, on his desire, all those things, you know, his leadership. He's got all that in spades. Now he's going to have to become more of a cerebral player and understand the universe of football a little bit better. And then, and then if, he, if he combines that, I still think he has Ray Lewis type of not, – not, he's not Ray Lewis. He doesn't you – know, mm-hmm. I'm not putting him in the Hall of Fame. But on this team, on this defense, he can have that sort of impact, the guy that can show up all over the field. He could fill up a stat column with sacks, with tackle for losses, with quarterback hits, uh, with passes defense, with interceptions, with fumble recoveries, with forced fumbles. He can make the, all those splash plays and fill up the categories if, if he'll just take it to the next level. And, and, and we'll see. This is a big year for him um, because even though he made the Pro Bowl, and that happens sometimes a year after you should have, right? He should have made it mm-hmm. um, the year they went to the Super Bowl. But because of all the hype, because of his name recognition, he, he didn't have a bad year but didn't have as good a year. Uh, he made the Pro Bowl last year, um, and, and, and that was his first Pro Bowl. But you know now it's about – you know can this guy be in the conversation for defensive player of the year? And if he can, and Levante is back for another year coming off the Liz Frank injury, hopefully he'll, he'll be a little bit better um, health-wise, but he's, he's certainly not a young player by any means. They need Devin White. This needs to be his defense. This needs to be his time right now. And, and look, nothing motivates some, a player sometimes like a contract year. He's going to be – either franchised or a free agent next season. He's looking at his biggest payday coming up right now. So it also doesn't hurt that 
he's playing for, you know, the, the biggest contract he'll ever see probably in his life. So another game for the Lightning and another milestone for Steven Stamkos at an age when maybe you wouldn't expect with, with what he has had to battle both personally, professionally, injury-wise. And I didn't realize that he had not done this uh, before, but it makes sense. It's quite an accomplishment. He, he scored his 100th point for the first time in his career. He's gotten very close to it before. I think he had like 98 or 97 mm-hmm. a couple times. Um, but that's, that's quite a milestone in a year of milestones for Steven Stamkos. Not only that, but considering, what, two weeks ago, he was at like 80 points? Yeah, he's gone on a tear. Yeah. I mean, it's five straight games now with three or more points for him. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible mm-hmm. run. Yeah. Like, I, I want to say Chief was pointing out, I think there's eight players in history that have done that in the NHL. Really? Wow, I didn't realize that. And only three have done it six times in a row, mm-hmm. and that's what he'll go for tonight in Columbus yeah. as they uh, – have the final two games of the regular season. Um, but it's uh, for Stamkos in his 14th season. And think, and, and he mentioned after the game, he goes, you know what I'm most proud of is I've proved a lot of people wrong. Yeah, and, I think people thought he was done. And, and if you looked at his play the last few years, you probably thought that. And mm-hmm. now we're seeing, wow, how banged up was he the last few years? I mean, we know he's been through injuries. Yeah. But you're seeing a healthy Steven Stamkos this year. And to be honest – he carried this team for the first half of the season. You mm-hmm. had no Nikita Kucherov. Brayton right. Point missed a big chunk of that. That's a good point. I mean, to be honest, Stamkos and Alex Kalorn have been the two most consistent players this year for the Lightning. Yep. yep. And, and they have kind of carried this team, particularly as Point and Kucherov were out. And it's just it's it's incredible the season he's having. And at this age, and, and like you said, as, as many people thought he was done, and and. You know, I mean, how many people thought, hey, he should retire? He's got two Look, cups. I, he should, you know. Yeah. And, and, and then you come out this year and you go, whoa. I mean, how hurt have you been the last few years? Yeah, the answer is very. And I think that's the difference. People say this all the time, athletes, and I think we don't give it enough attention. And it's something to watch this year with Chris Godwin. Mm-hmm. I talked to Cam Braid about this the other day. He was out at the golf tournament. Um, when, you're, when your off season is spent, Mm-hmm. simply rehabbing, in other words, trying to get back to your sport, trying to get um, a range of motion, trying to get healed up from surgery, when that's what you do in the off season, it's not preparing you for the season. It, they're, they're, it's different, right? Mm-hmm. If you spend every year rehabbing, then, then you're, not, you're just trying to maintain your ability to get on the field and play. Um, what these guys really need is an off season when they're healthy. So that they can they can prepare their bodies and they can do all those things that you need to be able to do, and I think Steven Stamkos has spent the last umpteen years now just trying to get in a position to play. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to get him. I mean, remember him playing that one playoff game two years ago, and he scores an unbelievable goal that actually helped them win. And it's still one of the one of the goosebump moments I think in Tampa Bay sports. Um, you know, right up there with Evan Longoria's, you know, home run, you know, one game, one sixty-two or whatever. Um, I, I, I really think that the difference for him has been he felt good and could could train and prepare himself in the off season and not be dealing with trying to rehab from an injury. And maybe he had some. We never know how hurt these guys are. Mm-hmm. Much less hockey players. Hockey players. Almost, you know, I mean, even the teams will only tell you whether it's an upper body or lower body. Nobody shares any information 
about injuries, and they're the toughest guys in the world uh, in, in terms of athletes. No one's going to get a bunch of chicklets knocked out of their face and keep playing. No one's going to you know, uh, go out there with a broken leg like Kalorn did and try to skate. I mean, that doesn't happen in other sports, right? There's very few examples of that. These guys are by far the biggest warriors. So you don't know what they're dealing with, but it is clear to me that he is as healthy as he has been Mm -hmm. for a number of years, and now you see what he's done. He's one goal away from 40. That's remarkable to me to have 40 goals uh, in this season. It is, and Stamko said something very telling a couple weeks ago, and he was actually talking about Nikita Kucherov. But I think it was a lot of firsthand um, yes. experience. And he said, yes. you know, Kucherov had surgery and was coming back from it. And, mm-hmm. yes, he's playing and that, but you don't realize the toll it takes and how hard it is to come back. And just because you're back doesn't mean you're 100%. Doesn't mean you feel good. And, and, you don't yeah. feel good. Yeah, and yeah. you're going to have days that you feel good and days you don't. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's all part of the process. And he was talking about Kucherov, but really but it's, really it's was kind talking of about his himself. last five, six years of mm-hmm. all those injuries and that and trying to work back from them. And, and as you said, if your whole offseason is rehab, yeah, you didn't prepare for the season. You prepared to, better. to yeah. play. You didn't prepare mm-hmm. for the season in that. So, right, right. Um, you know, we're starting to see Kucherov really heat up right now too. That's uh, why he's got, he he's feels got goals better. in seven straight games, which it, it, you know ties his career record. He started the seventeen eighteen season with seven straight games with a goal. Uh, Brian Bradley has the record for the Lightning eight straight games with a goal in the first season of the Lightning ninety two ninety three. Uh, so you, Nikita Kucherov could tie that tonight, but. You could make an argument, and I don't know. I don't know if this is empirically true, but you know, given what happened last year when when Cooch only played in the postseason, right? Um, and now he's starting to heat up. I, I guess they might have some guys that are still nicked, and, and if they do, they're not going to be playing, right? And we don't, like you said, we don't know what anyone's dealing with, Athleski or anybody mm-hmm. else. But just on paper, at least on paper, you could argue that this team. Is and I know they lost, you know, Goudreau and those guys, but you could argue that this team, from a health standpoint, is better prepared than than their last two Stanley Cup teams. Well, I mean, at this point, everyone is playing on their roster. That's what I mean. Um, they don't have anyone that's. I mean, that's Jan Ruda. Jan Ruda was kept out of Tuesday's game as a precaution. They said, right. Um, so right. he's dealing with something. Braden Point missed a game last week. They kind of they said, look, it's you know just maintenance and a precaution. Uh, mm-hmm. Pierre Edward Balmar missed a couple games over the weekend, but he was back Tuesday. So, yeah, I mean, they don't have anyone that they're waiting on. You know, Goodrow was hurt at the start of the playoffs last year. Steven Stamkos missed the whole bubble except for five shifts at, you know, three minutes and whatever game, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they don't have that at, right now. Now they have two games left to go, and then you, you'll see what happens in the playoffs. Most likely they're going to face Toronto. Toronto locked up the two seed. So Lightning are going to start the playoffs on the road no matter what they do. Uh, at this point, they can only play Toronto or Carolina as their opponents. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably know by Thursday night. Um, it, they just need, what, two points? Either they get two points or Boston drops or two points. Else and they'll drops be, two, yeah. They'll be t- facing Toronto. So, um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, as, you know, as far as a injury that's keeping you out of a game, yes, they're in as good of a position right now as they've been in any postseason heading into now, what what nagging injuries and dings they have? I mean, who, who knows? Yeah, but at least they're on the ice or can get on the ice, yes. and, and that wasn't the case a year ago when, like I said, when Kucherov missed the whole regular season, and you didn't know what you were going to get from him when he got on there. And I got to mm-hmm. believe he feels better now than he did then, and it's starting to show in his play. So, 
Um, good on the Lightning. They're heating up at the right time, uh, and we'll see what they what they do the rest of the way, and then obviously who they draw officially uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. All right, we got some mailback questions, probably more than we can get to today. That's okay. We'll get to some more uh, later in the week. Um, and, of course, uh, we'll be at the NFL Draft, which is later tonight. Ah, here we are, the three-day uh, three marathon. Um, I hope you I hope you have some snacks. It's going to be about four hours before the Bucks make a pick, I think. Three and a half, four hours, because they're at 27 right now, unless they mm-hmm. move up. I don't see them doing that very very far if they do move. So, uh, but we'll be we'll be at the Bucks and we'll talk all about what they do in day one of the NFL draft on tomorrow's podcast. But let's get started with your mailbag questions. Yeah, you have plenty of time to watch the Lightning game and then flip over to the draft, catch the second half of the first round, and there you go. You know, and you watch the Rays game in the afternoon, and it's a pretty good day in Tampa Bay. Triple sports. header, yeah. Yes. So we'll start with the draft since uh, you brought that up. But Michael had asked, what positions do you think the Bucks could draft that can help them win this season the most? Well, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think that, I, and I've said this in previously probably or written about it, that I think they're telling on themselves ever so slightly in terms of what their needs are. And as Jason Light calls them, perceived needs. Well, yeah, it's pretty much everyone's universal perception is this. They did not re-sign in Damakonsu yet, okay? Doesn't mean they won't. I'm not sure they will. But what it means to me is that they're prepared or feel like there's a likelihood, or maybe a more than a good likelihood, that their first pick in this draft could be a defensive tackle, an inside player, um, a young guy that can that can go along with Indomic, with uh, Vita Vea and would probably replace Indomitian Sue. They did re-sign William Golston, who's like five years younger than Sue. I mean, Sue's 35 years old. So if that's the case, you need to create an opportunity for this guy to play. You don't necessarily – I know last year, you know, Joe Tron Shawinka, the idea was – put him behind Jason Pierre-Paul, make him a rotational guy, bring him along slowly. He, he had opted out his final year at Washington, hadn't played football in a year, you know, and then lo and behold, JPP pretty early on, you know, tears his uh, rotator cuff in his shoulder and Joe Tryon's forced into action way sooner than he was probably ready for. So, you know, you could take that tack if you had Sue on the field. The problem is, you know, Sue's a guy that's going to, one, command a lot of money because he's not going to play for free. I think it's going to be eight, he's averaged $9 million a year every year he's been here. And two, how do you create opportunity for, for a first-round pick uh, if Sue is playing? And so I think they're waiting to see how the draft falls. And there's a possibility that maybe those guys that they're, they're coveting at that position are both gone um, or three of them are gone or whatever. But I do think that that's – to me, that's one of the biggest needs they have simply because if they went out there and played today, um, you have players that can line up next to Vita Vea, but they wouldn't be as good of a defense as they were a year ago when Sue was was playing and, and, and was ready to go. And you don't have that yet. So I think I think they're telling on themselves a little bit. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, offensive guard, losing Ali Marpet. I still think they believe that they're good there. That Aaron Stinney can fill that can fill that void for them. Um, I I don't really think that that's going to be a, a necessarily something that they they have to come out of. We got to come out of this draft, you know, with a, with a guy at that position. They still have Robert Hainsey, who they drafted a year ago, that can play guard or center. Um, so they feel pretty good. I, I think about what they have in the offensive line. It was good enough to win a Super Bowl and. Uh, 
you know, Stinney played three playoff games in the Super Bowl that run and did very, very well. So they're not going to – I don't think they'll force that. If it falls that way, great. Um, certainly there's guys, you know, that are worthy of first-round picks at the offensive guard position. Um, but I don't think that they'll force it. I think that we know they need a tight end in this draft. I don't know if it would be the first pick or not, but they've only got, from a number standpoint, they only have two on the roster, Cody McElroy and Cameron Brake. Even if Gronk comes back, we're going to assume it's just for one season, and you'll still need an inline blocking tight end, somebody who can primarily block, uh, also hopefully you know catch the ball. So they got to come out of this draft with a tight end. I would say don't overlook the wide receiver position simply because we don't know when Chris Godwin is going to be ready, and I think that that you know with the experience, what they experienced a year ago, uh, you look at the the price of wide receivers these days, including what, you know, they're paying Godwin $20 million a year. They're paying, you know, Mike Evans uh, $16, $18 million a year. And and then you see what the Tyree kills and, and guys like that get. Um, I, I think you always, in a passing league, you always want to reinvest in the wide receiver position. And quite frankly, guys like Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller sort of disappeared a year ago. And they're not high draft picks, but there are some wide receivers a number of them. I think there'll be as many as six in the first round maybe taken. And all through the first three rounds, there's going to be a lot of wide receivers because it's a passing league. So I could see them stocking up on that. Wouldn't rule out the running back at some Mm -hmm. point in this draft because they only have, you know, the same, really the same three minus Ronald Jones from last year. You know, I I mean, I, I guess they hope Keyshawn Vaughn takes another step. Leonard Fournette, is the workhorse. We know that. What if he got hurt? They're relying on Giovanni Bernard to come back again at age 31, 32 years old. He was injured all last year. I always say this, guys don't get healthier as they get older. So they could they could restock the running back position at some point in this draft too. So those are sort of, sort of the needs. If I had to rank them, I would say defensive tackle was very near to the top. Um, but you, you always don't want to, you know, you don't want to reach for a guy that isn't worthy of that spot simply because you have a need. Um, so really, just get a player that can impact you and, and, and impact Tom Brady. I mean, the defense will impact Tom Brady by getting him the ball back. We know that. Um, but offensively, it wouldn't hurt to have a wide receiver and a tight end that can help him right now. You know, not not like last year when the only guy that really played was Joe Tryon. I mean, they used their second-round pick on Kyle Trask. Guess what? He's not playing again this year. You can't do that. You can't you can't buy greener bananas this year, knowing that this is the final year most likely for Tom Brady in Tampa. So, um, get some players probably on offense overall, but maybe one defensive lineman would hurt, would help right away. Tommy had asked, "Do you see the Bucks trading out of the first round if they don't have a player that they like that can help them, and then get an extra pick in return?" Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a real possibility because I think the strength of this draft is in the is in the middle rounds. And what I mean by that is, and Jason Light said this, not sure that there's thirty players and it's thirty two teams. Not sure there's thirty players that warrant a first round uh, rating. Think about that. So what does that mean? That if you're picking twenty seventh uh, and you've got thirty guys or twenty eight guys, do you even have twenty seven guys with a first round grade? If you don't, then by all means, if somebody wants to give you an extra pick to move down into the second round, it depends on how far you're going. And what teams do is they say, okay, we're 27th, and there's five guys left on the board that we really, really like. 
can we move back five spots and be sure to get one of our guys? Well, what if we move back 10 spots? What does that look like? You know, are there 10 players we'd be okay with any of these 10? So you kind of have to gauge it that way. And you don't know, you, you can't make that call until you're on the clock. In other words, you, you've got to see the whole board and, and understand that. And they've done that before and they've gotten lucky. He talked, you know, Jason Light talked the other day about Vita Vea, uh, really wanting Vita and moving back. And, 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 you know, they kept watching guys come off the board and they were really, really, really nervous that Vita Vea was going to be taken ahead of them, just ahead of them. And when he wasn't, there was a big yelp in the room. Um, that's not a, that's not a comforting situation when you're down to your last player and there's still two picks ahead of you. Uh, you want to be comfortable with, uh, you know, the number of players in front of you based on how far down you trade. So, um, but I do believe this is the type of draft and God help me if I go over there all night and they don't make a pick, but oh, well, uh, I do think this is the type of draft that you could move down early in the second round and get the same kind of player that you would get at 27 and pick up another player, pick up another position to fortify your team for Tom Brady. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good possibility, I think, this year. And, and Jason Light is also – he's moved up more than he's moved down. I think he's had 13 trades or 14 trades. I think nine times he's moved up and uh, five, four or five times he's moved down. So uh, usually, he's, usually he's going up to get somebody. Jen DeWin tweeted, Chances of you ever calling a Bucks draft pick during the draft, and is that something that would, you would be, have an interest in? You mean when they put me up there? Yes. You know, you get to announce the pick, I think. Oh, heavens no. Heavens no. <laughs> Not in a million years. Not unless I could do it as like every voice I've ever, as another character or something. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't have any desire to do that, nor would that be very ethical on my part. <laughs> I mean, that'd be weird. Representing the Buccaneers, and he's going to make the next draft, the next announcement. I mean, Roger Goodell announced he doesn't represent the Buccaneers. He represents well, the yeah, he represents the NFL, though. I mean, he, he his check has the same shield on it that the guys over at One Buck Place have, right? So, um, yeah, no, that would never happen. It'd be really weird, you know. If I was retired and they asked me, probably not. Wouldn't do it then either. I don't want I don't want that film of me, you know, calling a guy's name out and then he turns out to be a you know terrible player or a bust or something like that. It's an honor, though, and there's going to be, I guess there's going to be somebody in Germany uh, or one of their picks is going to be announced from Germany in, in, this, uh, in this NFL draft because the, the Bucks are playing over there. What time will uh, it be one, over there? I mean, uh, well, I, I, probably not. I, probably it may tomorrow. Not be the first, it may not be it, the first-round pick. But. Yeah, it'll probably, be the, it'll probably be the next day. Maybe the Saturday. Or, or maybe or even Saturday, yeah. yeah but, um, but they're going to do it over there just to, you know, because of the game and, the, and they own the territorial marketing rights. So they'll probably get um, some well-known German footballer, maybe. I don't know. I don't know who they'll have, but uh, but that's going to happen. So now um, there have been some interesting guys do it in the past. I'm trying to think of like what was what was a what was a memorable one. I know the Cowboys. I think Drew Pearson lit him up one time. Um, yeah, no, nah, I no, that will never happen. Sorry. Sorry, maybe maybe they'll maybe they'll name a seat after me in the press box. I have no idea. I, it, it's it's not it's not something I've ever thought about, and it's kind of weird now that I think about it. But no, don't want any part of that. No way. All right, Ellis asked: In the last ten years, which first round draft pick by the Bucks has had the greatest impact? And I'll help you here. I'll, let's I'll go through the first round picks that they've had for the last ten years to help. So in 2012, they had two first round picks: they had Mark Barron and Doug Martin. 
2013, they did not have a first-round pick. 2014 was Mike Evans. 2015 was Jameis Winston. 2016 was Vernon Hargraves. 17 was O.J. Howard. 18 was Vita Vea. 19, Devin White. 20, Tristan Wirfs. And 21, Joe Tryon Shawinka. Well, this one's easy for me. Um, and, and I don't – when I say this, we don't have – we don't really have the rest of the puzzle, right? Like, like for example – I'm one who believes that if Tristan Wirfs stays healthy, he's going to wear a gold jacket. I mean, I think he has that type of ability, mm-hmm. that type of makeup. Um, he's so athletic. He 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 is just uh, he just has that that it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, hard to predict injuries though with a guy like that, but he has that talent and he showed it. I always say this: special shows up right away. Like you don't have to wait. Whether you're talking about Michael Jackson singing. Or, it, or, or somebody acting like it shows up right away in, in this world. And Tristan Wirfs showed up right away. I think he gave up all of one sack, uh, and he gave it up to Mack in Chicago in that awful game uh, his entire rookie year, and he played every single snap. And it's unfortunate he got hurt last year. He never really missed any time uh, and, until, his, until his injury you know, before the, the Rams playoff game, which absolutely had an impact on that game because Josh Wells was nicked up too. But Tristan Wirfs, I don't know the rest of the story. I'm gonna think. I think it might end up in Canton. We've talked about Devin White, but this is an easy answer for me. It's Mike Evans. Mm-hmm. Mike Evans um, was a guy that was late to the game of football. I mean, football was not his sport, so to speak. He was a he was a basketball player. He was a baller. Still a big NBA fan. Um, if you watch tape of this guy in high school. Uh, you know, he was the guy flying from the foul line to dunk balls on guys' heads and just an incredible athlete and a really good basketball player. Problem was, you know, there's there's a lot of 6'4 guys, but they can't play in the low post in the NBA. You know, like, um, you know, you got, you got guys that are 6'9 handling the ball uh, these days. And so Mike came to football kind of late. He played youth ball and all that stuff. I'm not suggesting he never put on, a, on, on pads. Um, but really it was sort of his junior, senior year of high school. He got recognized and was a young player at A&M just out there using that big body like a basketball player would. And Johnny Manziel, you know, the whole legend of Johnny Manziel was a production of Mike Evans. He would throw the ball down the field, 50-50 balls, and Mike Evans would turn him into 85% catches. And, you know, he just climbed the ladder on people and, and moss people and, and, not coincidentally, Randy Moss is his, is his sort of his idol at wide receiver, and he reminds you of him, not with the speed, because he doesn't have Randy's speed, but just with his size and his ability to, to jump over guys and moss them, if you will. Um, and I remember that draft that, that was Jason Light's and Lovey Smith's first draft, and Lovey came up with the I told this story before. Lovey came up with the idea that, hey, um, let's make people believe we're – we're taking a quarterback. Let's tell them we want really like Johnny Manziel. So I took the cheese because they sort of fed it to me. Um, and I was writing about Johnny Manziel when they really their goal was, their target was Mike Evans. I think Sammy Watkins was in that draft taken ahead of him. But Mike was the guy they liked. And boy, oh boy, to go eight straight seasons, you talk about consistency, a 1,000 yards a season, some of the big plays he made to endure the losing he did for five years, only one winning season his first five years. Um, 
and now to be a Super Bowl champion. He does everything right off the field. You know his personal story. You know, obviously his dad shot by his uncle, um, who's on, you know, uh, you know, in federal prison for the rest of his life. And, and just, you know, if you haven't seen that 30 for 30, it's just unbelievable what he's, what he's gone through. Um, but yeah, to me, uh, and, and, and look, I think Mike, he's not there yet because it's weird. The wide receiver position, the stats have all, you know, gotten inflated because of the rules and this sort of thing. So I don't know that he's a lock in terms of a Hall of Fame player, but he, but he's he's right there. He's on the path. I think if he were to have another one or two 1,000-yard seasons and make it 10 in a row, what you need to be in that room, unfortunately, they have certain benchmarks that they apply to most players. One is, did you make an all-decade team? Well, Mike's going to suffer because he kind of was picked right in the middle of a decade, right? His best 10 years fell right in the middle of those two decades. So that that also, you know, hurt John Lynch. John Lynch made the Hall of Fame, but he was never an all-decade player, and it hurt him in that room. That may hurt Mike Evans. In addition to the fact when you're on crappy teams, you don't get as many Pro Bowl votes, and so you don't have that on your resume, not that Pro Bowl is everything, but it helps to be an all-pro. It helps to be, you know. But what he has done, and it's hard in this league, is carve out a niche, a piece of history, and this game has been played for over 100 years, a piece of NFL history whereby no player has come into the league and had eight consecutive 1,000-yard seasons. That is his record alone. Uh, he, he separated himself from Randy Moss a year ago, and now he can extend his own record. And if he does that for another year or two, um, I think it's going to be hard to keep a gold jacket off of him. All right, Greg tweeted, what's the one draft pick that the Bucks made in their history that they regret the most? Um, I thought about this a little bit, and there's a lot of candidates, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a, you know, that's that's quite a checkered history. I mean, you think about the Booker Reese's, you know, and, and, and guys like that. The one that comes to mind, and it wasn't the player, it was the circumstance. The one that they just screwed up, and I still can't figure out, I've read accounts of it, but I still can't figure out how they screwed it up, was Bo Jackson. Mm-hmm. You can't have the number one overall pick and the guy staring at you is Bo Jackson, right? Still to this day, one of the greatest athletes of all time, one of the greatest football players, I think, uh, of all time. Certainly, you know, what he did in baseball and football was ridiculous. Um, And, you know, tragic end to his career with the hip injury and everything. But Bo Jackson, one, you put yourself in the position to him not to not want to play for you. And there's a backstory to that as well. And then two, when he told you, okay, I'm not playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Don't draft me. You did it anyway. And you got virtually nothing for it. You certainly didn't get Bo Jackson. So that whole thing from soup to nuts needed to be handled better uh, and – I, I I don't know. Certainly, you you would have loved to have had him on your football team if you if you could go back and erase some of the mistakes. One of the things, and and this is a little bit of this is urban myth, and some of it makes total sense to me. One of the mistakes they made when they were recruiting Bo Jackson, and he hadn't yet decided that I don't want to ever play for the Bucks, and I think it influenced his decision. Was Bo Jackson was a great player in baseball, as we all know, and he was a great player for Auburn in baseball, and. 
the Bucks were doing, you know, sort of their visits and get preparing for the draft and all of that. And Hugh Culverhouse, um, who was an Alabama guy through and through, which is odd, right? Because this is an Auburn kid. Um, I think he he got his plane up there, as the story goes, and flew Bo down, um, you know, to see the area, meet with some players. By the way, I'm not sure this helped. They got him with Scott Brankley and Brantley and Mark Cotney and went fishing. I don't know that that was a good selling point either, but they seen it here there. Um, and it wound up, as I recall, and I'd have to check this, but it wound up that trip was considered, and it's so stupid, right, by the NCAA to be a violation, and it wound up costing Bo Jackson his eligibility in baseball at Auburn. <laughs> I mean, it took away baseball. And, and I don't think he ever recovered from that. Because I think he held the Bucks responsible for not a not knowing the rules and, and and him ultimately losing his eligibility in baseball. So there were a lot of things that went wrong around in and around that entire pick. And at the end of the day, they didn't get the player. That was the famous um, Hugh Culverhouse. Uh, and if you don't remember Hugh Culverhouse, he he had a unique voice that I can imitate. But he he uh, we had a press conference and to talk about the fact that Bo Jackson was, you know, not going to be a Buccaneer. And uh, he got up there and and he talked about uh, he was driving across a bit bridge and he said, I heard a song by Dion Warwick, keep smiling, keep shining. That's what friends are for. And it was like, yeah, yeah. And he, and he, and he was like, uh, uh, We've signed every player that wanted to play baseball. We've never failed to sign a draft pick of a player that want or that wanted to play football. We've never signed a draft pick that didn't want to play football. He wants to play baseball. You know, well he told you that. You know, he told you all those things and yet they still didn't didn't uh, resonate with them. So I will go Bo Jackson. I'll take Bo Jackson on that answer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, Sonny had tweeted, with lots of dead cap money coming due over the next season or two, how much is the cap projected to be going up? Um, well, I mean, they just, they've done some of their TV deals, so I think it has gone up. I think what's going to be a difference maker is as they have more of these associations um, with gambling sites, to be honest with you. I think gambling is going to change the NFL franchise values dramatically and therefore should change the amount of revenue that they're, that they're um, producing and, and they're partners with the NFL players association. So those revenues as they increase, not franchise value, but the actual revenues uh, is going to raise the salary cap significantly. I don't know how soon that will be because I think they've done a number of their TV deals already. Um, but it will go up. It always goes up. And, you know, whether that's 20 million a year, 15, 30, and then eventually, I mean, I think it's going to be astronomical because you know, we've talked about this a little on this podcast. I mean, you're going to have situations where 
and I think they do this in in uh, England and Europe with some of the um, you know soccer or football over there is that you're going to be able to make betting from the stadium. You can you can uh, do prop bets maybe even from your seat, you know, and that's a game changer when when they're going to allow gambling on location uh, and sometimes maybe only on location. Um, and and then you know they'll be partners with those sites, whoever it is that that furnishes all those things. So, you know, to me, that's that's the next thing that's going to, you know, increase franchise values, maybe double them. I'm not kidding you. Um, and, and some estimates are higher than that. But um, I don't know what next year's projection is. And 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 like I said, that that's the piece you have to look for. That and any time they renegotiate TV deals. And I think they did most of their TV deals with their major networks. There could be more few. I think the Sunday tickets coming up. Is that so. yeah? I was gonna say that, and and streaming is always big. You know, yeah. like they've they finally got the Amazon deals, and you're mm-hmm. gonna see, I think, more streaming events. Yeah, it sounds like Apple may be in play for the Sunday ticket. So I believe it. Yeah. yeah. Les had tweeted, "What Bucks away game are you looking forward to covering the most?" I'll allow the Germany game since it's not at Raymond James Stadium. P.S. No cheating. You can't say the last one. That's pretty good. I, I that would that would have been a great answer. The last one. That's kind of like the Tom Brady. What's your favorite ring? The next one. What's my favorite game? The last one. Um, game on the road. Is that was that yep. the question? Yes. So, well, I mean, look, I I've not been to Germany, but we'll exclude that for the purpose of this information here. I guess. No, he would allow it. But if you want to, uh, yeah, I'll fine. exclude it. I mean, Germany is you know to me, the thing about Germany is just is just the country and the experience, and that we don't. We're not there long enough to really get a, a a great sort of tour, if you will. I mean, it's always fun to go to Europe. Um, I've not been to Germany. I've not been to Munich, obviously. So that's those are experiences that you know last a lifetime. So those those are cool. We're not going to be there as long. Um, usually, you know, and I've look, I was looking the other day for flights, and you got to connect through Charlotte or somewhere. It's it's about twenty hours or. You know, thereabouts round trip, it's over 10 hours or 12 hours. I think it's 12 hours each way um, in terms of, you know, when you get to the connection and then across. So those those are long, long trips. I'm not necessarily looking forward to it. I will say there's a lot of great games on the schedule, both home and away. Um, the one I'm going to say only because I don't know what to expect in terms of storylines, but there seems to be a few, would be, you know, Tom Brady last year went back to the New England Patriots and played them uh, in Boston or in New England, I should say, Foxborough to be exact. So that obviously was an easy storyline. I'm going to say San Francisco. One, I love the Bay Area. Love it. Okay. Two, this is a franchise that said no to him a couple times, you know. And I don't know if you saw like the last episode of Man in the Arena um, but he talked about his attitude like, if you don't have one of the elite quarterbacks and you don't want me, what the bleep is wrong with you? Well, that was he's describing the 49ers, okay? Because Jimmy Garoppolo was our quarterback, and you know darn well that Tom Brady didn't think Jimmy Garoppolo was one of the elite guys. And so the idea that Brady is going to play on the road in his hometown against that team, and I don't know how many times he's played the 49ers. I'd have to look that up. But that's that's the that's his team, you know. And he I mean, might yeah, still be he, going against Jimmy Garoppolo at that point. And he, but yeah, you're right because Jimmy's doesn't look like they're going to get anything for him, so they're probably just going to keep him on the roster. Um, they've been, you know, 
to a couple NFC Championship games now. Um, they've been to a Super Bowl in the last three years. They could be a contender, although the NFC, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the NFC West. Obviously, the Rams are the favorite. They've owned the Rams um, for, for years and years. So that one to me is is interesting just from the standpoint of probably the last time he'll play in his hometown, you know, against that team that was his childhood team. And and, and a little bit of, uh, you know, Tom, I mean, he not one to – um, to have to look very hard for motivation, he you know he always has that big chip on his shoulder. The way the way Jordan would make things up, I'm sure he's thinking to himself, mm-hmm, "This is for all one not drafting me, two not being interested when I was a free agent for God's sakes." And I think he's going to want to put it on them in San Francisco. So that'll be that'll be one I'm looking forward to. All right, Allen tweeted us. He said the great Bucks middle linebacker Shelton Quarles has quietly moved his way up the Buccaneers' executive office ladder. What does he do, and how does he contribute to our success? And are there any other 2002 Super Bowl champs on staff that got a second ring in 2021? All right, well, Shelton Corals uh, used to be in, in the front office uh, sort of as the direct uh, of the pro personnel uh, department, and he was more in, the, more in the director of pro scouting. He was in charge of um, evaluating players on other teams, you know, there's college scouting and then there's pro scouting. So, you you, you know, you want to bring in guys either on your practice squad or off waivers or whatever. Now he is the director of, or I guess he was a coordinator of pro scouting. Now he's the director of football operations. And so what he does is more of a logistic type job in terms of, you know, how do I get the players here? Um you know, you got a lot of moving parts, right? With the practice squad, every time a guy is signed, you got to get him to Tampa. You got to get guys out of out of the city. You got workout guys. Um, the team has to travel. Uh, you're you're in charge of a lot of logistics, including the setting up of of practice and making sure, you know, are you indoors, are you outdoors? Uh, you know, is the equipment out in the right spot? Anything that's operational uh, in terms of of the Bucks, but I think the most important thing he does from an operations standpoint is is handle the logistics for players and their travel and the team's travel as well. Like there was an example where, oh, I think I can't remember the player. One of them, uh, their wife went into labor and they had to get to the game, but the team was already there and yet um, she had her baby and there was a small hour window where the player could have a private plane waiting for him, fly up. It was in New York, I think the game was. And get there in time for the game. That that was all Shelton Corals that had to arrange that. Um, and I don't know of any other 2002 players that are on that staff. In fact, I, I'm sure there's probably not. There's been some that I think have been interested, of course. But um, I think Shelton is the only guy from the O2 team uh, that's currently involved with the team. So you know, but it's a it's a very important job, and he's been there a long, long time. He did a good job as the pro personnel coordinator as well. Um, but he's worked in the front office, gets along with everybody, and, you know, has made a career of, of the NFL and of the Bucks in particular. So he's been around a lot of head coaches. And I think the mark of a, of a good employee is one that in the front office, if they keep bringing you back, even though you have coaching changes and GM changes, you know you're doing something right because Shelton Quarles has always had a job there. And uh, that's a, tri- a, a real tribute to him. All right, we'll switch gears to the Lightning here, and Sean had tweeted, the 2019 Bolts scored at will until the playoffs. 
They're currently scoring at will, which is cautiously exciting. Are they still playing the type of defense and overall style that carried them to the back-to-back cups? Everything seems to be clicking lately. I think they're getting there. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that they're playing that much of a lockdown um, as they did in the postseason. Nor do I think they need to. Um, you know, those games in in the playoffs are going to be much tighter, much tighter checking. You're not going to have time and space, so they have to stick to. You hear them talk about the process and um, you know taking care of the puck and not not turning it over and getting wild man rushes and all. I think they're doing a better job of of, of that of getting it out of their own zone and, and things like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know that – I don't think they're in that mode quite yet, And like I said, nor do they need to be. It evolves. I mean, when the games matter, when it's mm-hmm. win or go home, um, literally every time it's on your stick or on somebody else's stick, the game can change. The scoreboard can change. So – that's when you see the hitting. That's when you mm-hmm. see the shot blocking. I saw an interesting stat the other night, Steve, and this might speak to this. I was just going to bring that up. Against Florida, they blocked like well, – maybe it wasn't Florida. No, it was no, against Columbus. Uh, Columbus. Columbus. They blocked like 24 shots or 25. something like that. 25 shots they laid down and blocked in a game that they didn't need to win, but that's what you have to do to win in the postseason. Now, some of those are stick blocks. It's not all yeah. laying down. Oh, I know but, it's not bodies, but yeah. but yeah. I mean, Braden Point had five. That's your one of your star centers at five yeah. block shots. He's, you know? He gets paid to score. Yeah, I mean, I, I right. don't think their puck possession was as crisp on Tuesday. No, as it they had gave been, up too but, much zone time. But yeah. they were blocking shots. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Columbus had a lot of possession in that game. I don't know how many dangerous chances they had. I mean, they had some, but... Yeah, Bassey handled them, though. But, yeah, yeah. I, I think the Lightning are getting there. I, I think you saw in the three games against the playoff teams, Toronto, Nashville, yep. Florida. Yep. Uh, you know, I think... You could tell the energy level wasn't as high in that Columbus game. Mm-hmm. It was a team that was out of the playoffs. The Lightning were, you know, they did things well, but they didn't have the same energy going into those games as the first, as those three prior. And understandably so. You're going against playoff teams and, you know, getting ready for the playoffs. And it'll be interesting what kind of energy they come out with tonight in Columbus and then tomorrow in New York as they wrap up the regular season. But I, I think they're they're definitely getting there, and, and the offense clicking is, is huge because – you know, the more that you're cycling and running your offense, then the less you're on defense. And, you know, ultimately in the playoffs, the more you can keep that puck possession, the better shot you got to win a game. Yeah, absolutely. I like the way they're playing, and I think we'll know pretty early on when they get to that first game against Toronto, whoever it is, just, just how well mm-hmm. they responded. So Ron had tweeted, what odds do you put on the Lightning for a third straight cup? And he notes, I didn't say it, Pat Riley. Yeah, do you got to pay him every time somebody says that? I don't know it, if you say it, you do, but if you you know you're selling anything with it, you on can't it, sell you it. Yeah, he's got he owns the he owns the copyright to uh, to three Pete. Uh, there, I said it. Um, what are the odds? The odds are very slim. <laughs> One in sixteen. There's sixteen yeah. teams, right? <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, fifteen teams are going to be disappointed, and one's going to be really, really happy. Um, but to do it three times in a row, it's been forty years or so since somebody did that. So mm-hmm. I think it's even. I think the odds are even, uh, you know, lower for the for the Lightning than they than they normally would be. Even though you say, well, you know, who's better than them? And we're going to find out. I I don't I don't think you say they they have no chance because clearly they do. And and quite frankly, their experience should should help them. Uh, but it, but it's a war of attrition. It's who can stay healthy and, and what the matchups are and 
you know, who gets hot at the right time and things like this, who handles the pressure. That's the one thing. I don't think anything's going to surprise these guys about the postseason. Like, I think mm-hmm. they're they're hardened. You know, there'll be some teams that'll feel pressure. Florida is going to feel pressure. You know, Florida's going to feel the type of pressure that the Lightning felt when they went into Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Cup winner, you know, 13 games in a row. And they just got a little bit of doubt planted in their heads by the Lightning with that 8-3 to three loss that they had the other day. The, the, the Panthers, I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just lost to Boston on Tuesday night as well. And they lost again, yeah. So, I mean, they, you know, they, they're, they're going to be the ones that are going to have to to wear that, you know, that president's crown. But I, I, I don't think anything's going to surprise the Lightning. But still, let's be realistic. This is for history. Like, mm-hmm. um, this time of year or this time in, in, in the hockey's timeline, these things don't happen, haven't happened. Um, and yet, and yet, I didn't give them a puncher's chance to do it because I don't know that there's that many teams or any team they can't take in a seven-game series. Well, I know that Colorado is a sexy pick, and I think they're a really good. They may be the best team in hockey. Florida, offensively, has just been a juggernaut this year. They've been phenomenal. There's no lead that's safe against them. Uh, you know, Carolina's really good. Uh, you know, go go. The Calgary's really good. The Lightning, I still say, is one of the favorites. And and you put odds or sixteen teams in there. Nobody's got a fifty percent odds to win or anything. But yeah, tell me which team and goalie is going to beat Andre Vasilevsky four times out of seven. Oh, you're right. That's that's what gives him the chance. And so as long as 88's back in net, mm-hmm. I like the Lightning's chances. It doesn't mean they're going to win. Right. Right. But and, and the way this team – now, we'll see if they can do it again this year. One of the, the hallmarks of the last two cup runs, they never lost back-to-back games. That's Af- true. After a loss, they came out focused and motivated, and they mm-hmm. played their best hockey. That's true. And if, if you're not going to beat a team twice in a row, then you better win game one of the series because you got no shot if you don't. That's right. Now, the new year, no Gord, Gaudreau, Coleman line, no Tyler Johnson, there's changes, et cetera. Yeah. But as long as 80 to net, the best goalie in the world, mm-hmm. and who's proven it in the playoffs, right? I'll take, I'll take those odds. They're going to be some of the best in the NHL. I like it. Yeah, I like it. Well, I mean, it, that's why they that's why they play the games. It's, it's it really is uh, that. I think everything they've done to this point has only been to get here. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's the other thing about winning back to back Stanley Cups. The regular season is important only because you want to play well. You want to make the playoffs. Once they knew they were going to make the playoffs, I think they struggled mentally uh, and and physically too. It's a long year. And they played more hockey than any other team in these last two years, by by far. Mm-hmm. And and so I think they needed to see that light, see that finish line, and they can see it now, and they know how to ramp it up. And people talk about flipping the switch, but it's a mental switch. It, it's like okay, this is you know the the two rings we just dragged up to Washington D.C. for that you know um, reception at the White House. Well. You know, that that's why that was kind of a neat reminder right before the postseason of you get to do stuff like this when mm-hmm. you're the Stanley Cup champs. You mm-hmm. get to remember, oh, yeah, we're those guys. We're on top of the world. We're standing here at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with the president, and that's because we're we're the champs. So that was a nice reminder of, you know, the kind of rewards you reap when you get there, and hopefully the carrot, you know, is still there for them 
Because that's usually what happens is, in addition to attrition, it's like, how motivated are you? There's some hungry teams that the Lightning have dispatched that were really good the last two years. And, you know, Florida's one of them. And the East is loaded, right? Uh, and, and so, yeah, Colorado, you're going to hear a lot about them. But guess what? Whoever comes out of the East will be battle-tested, man. Mm-hmm. If, they have, if they have any skaters left, you know, if they haven't already gotten beaten each other up to the point where they can't play at all, uh, whoever comes out of there is not going to be afraid of Colorado or whoever wins mm-hmm. in the West. So I like, I like the East chances, and if that's Tampa Bay, come on, man. You mentioned the amount of hockey the Lightning have played the last two years, and, and I still think this is another testament to how good the Lightning are. But the other two teams that have played the most hockey in the last two seasons, not quite as much as the Lightning, but close, mm-hmm. is Vegas and the Islanders. Both those teams went to the Final Four the, each of the last two seasons, right. the conference finals, essentially. Mm-hmm. Islanders are out of the playoffs and 20 points out of a playoff spot. And they've had some other circumstances. COVID hit them pretty hard, and they started on the road for the first 13 games. But a very disappointing season. Vegas, who with LTIR is about $20 million over the cap. You think Tampa Bay was bad last year. They're about to miss the playoffs. They're not eliminated yet. But they have two games left. If they drop a point or if Dallas gets a point, yeah, they're out. Those two teams are probably the two biggest disappointments of this season. I mean, mm-hmm. Vegas was a favorite to win the Cup. And they played in. the most hockey. And the Islanders the who were one game from the Stanley Cup final last year. And, yeah. and both those teams are out. And, and look how much hockey they've played the last two years. The Lightning have played more and still made it to the playoffs. And are at 108 points right now and could get as high as 112. They have 50 incredible. wins this year. Yeah, it's it just incredible. shows you how good this team is, and and how much they've overcome from bubbles to COVID to just how much hockey they've played compared to everybody else, and that they're still, to me, one of the favorites going into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, and that's why you'd like to see everything being as normal as it can be, and COVID's still out there, obviously, and, and but yet we're playing in full arenas, they're playing at home, mm-hmm. um, able to travel to Canada, like all that stuff. Like you just, and that's true of the Bucks too. Like my. For Bucks fans who got to see their team win a Super Bowl and win it at Raymond James, there was only twenty five thousand, many of them healthcare workers or, you know, corporate sponsors that got to go to that game. You didn't get to see like everything was a Zoom call, you know, uh, the week leading up to it. There was no media day per se or Super Bowl Monday night or whatever they call it these days. You would like to see Bucks fans get to enjoy the full, you know, spectacle of a championship week. And that would be the case, too, in a championship series with the Lightning. Like, you'd like to see them not to have to have that and have some normalcy return. But I'm ready for it, man. It's going to be interesting. Well, John tweeted it, and we'll, this will be the last Lightning question. First, yeah. I was the guy who asked if the Lightning's run as a dominant team was over two weeks ago. I was so very wrong. So now the other way. Which Eastern Conference team presents the toughest matchups to them, irrespective of record? I don't know how you feel, but I'm sure you have a, a good opinion. I'm not going to say Florida, although I think that's going to be the bloodiest match uh, matchup they face. Um, I'm going to say the New York Rangers. Really? Mm-hmm. Because I think they're built just like the Lightning. Because I think that those teams resemble each other in so many ways, and they have a really good goaltender that's going to win the Vesna this year. Mm-hmm. And a good goaltender, and it's not one where it's not a team where they're going to like one guy one one day, and then if he doesn't play well, put in somebody else. 
Like he's their guy, and mm-hmm. he's had the best year, okay? And a good goaltender can stop a good scoring team. And just like Vasilevsky, I think these are the two best guys playing today. Um, and so I'm, I, I've, watched, I've watched them play New York, mm-hmm. and, boy, they're, they're, it's like looking in a mirror at, at times. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to say the Rangers, to me, is the one that, that might be the toughest matchup. See, I, to me, that was one of the matchups I wanted in the first round, if I'm the Lightning. Okay. And, and one, Igor Shosturkin, phenomenal season. He's going to win the Vesna. He's going to get Hart Trophy considerations for MVP. He's never played no, in the playoffs. No playoff experience. I knew you were going to go and, there. And, and I, don't, <laughs> I don't trust their back end. I don't trust their back end in, 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 the, in, front of them, in yeah. the playoffs. Okay. And so I Fair. think he's going to see a lot more shots. Okay. And high quality shots in the playoffs. Guys in his face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I just question that. I mean, I, I think the Rangers are a good team, and, and they've surprised. Gonna, they've got the two seed in the, in the Metro division. They're going to host, you know, they get home ice advantage for the first round of the playoffs. They earned it. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, they're, they're a really good team. Probably, you know, if, if you would have said they were going to be a playoff team this year, I'd have said, okay, yeah, they'll, they'll take a, the last wild card spot probably. No, I mean, they, they've actually kind of outperformed what you expected, and a lot of that was Igor Shosturkin. I, I I still think Carolina is just relentless on their forecheck causes problems. I don't know what their goaltending situation is, and, and Freddie Anderson's a little hurt right now, so that's going to impact things. Florida, if you if you play leaky defense, they're going to just come at you in waves and and shot after shot and score. Yeah. Um, you've got to be buttoned up to play them. Now, I think there's some motivation there. I mean, Florida's the best team, right? I mean, we can say they've had the best year. They've had the best right? season, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I still don't know how good their defense is because they spend so much time in the offensive zone. Right. You know, and, and granted, Aaron Eckblad hopefully will be back for them in the playoffs. That'll be a big boost to that. Um, do you trust Sergei Bobrovsky in the playoffs? And he's won more Vesna trophies than he has playoff series in his career. He's won one well, playoff he, he series. Got, he got these guys for yeah. a Yes. But, you know, last year, what, Florida went through three goalies in that series against the Lightning in six yeah, games. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Um, so do you trust their goaltending? Toronto's an interesting matchup because – Well, I, they got the best player in the world. Yeah, I mean, Austin Matthews, a phenomenal season. 60 goals. He's the first player to get 60 goals since Steven Stamkos 10 years ago. And he attacks these guys mm-hmm. often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you still wonder about their goaltending situation, and, and their defense has gotten better. I don't know if it's – good enough to win a Stanley Cup yet on the back right. end. Um, but don't forget the motivation. And, and it was uh, Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on, on their Lightning show were talking to Elliot Friedman, who's one of the big reporters in Canada mm-hmm. on hockey. And he said, folks in Toronto are scared to death of Steven Stamkos coming to his hometown <laughs> and just trucking him. And the way that. they're playing right now, they're scared to death of Steven Stamkos just putting shot it. after shot in the net. I love it. In the first round. I mean, you Yeah, know. but he's their guy. I mean, you know, you can take a little measure of, uh, well, you know. But, but, I mean, this is a team that hasn't won a playoff <laughs> series in almost 20 years. I know. And um, something always goes wrong when they play. You yeah. know, now, they're, not gonna get, they're well, most likely not going to get Boston in the first round, which helps them. But So they have this phenomenal season, this, and they're going to get the defend, two-time defending Stanley Cup champions who all of a sudden are red hot coming in. You got to go through them somehow. Well, you yeah. do. But maybe not the first round, right? But, you know, Tampa takes game one Oof. in Toronto, and oh, the, the pucker factor gets yeah, it's amped up there. And there's no there's no fan base that's more cynical right now than them, probably. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, they've had a phenomenal season. I mean, you really think about it. In the Eastern Conference, the top three teams may be in the Atlantic Division. Yeah. Oh, Florida, yeah. Toronto, and Tampa. Now, I mean, Carolina's got more points, and, and I would put them up there. And the Rangers are, I think, what, the Rangers and the Lightning are tied at points, I think. But, you know, you you'd probably say the three most dangerous teams are in the, the Atlantic Division, and they're all going to face each other in the first two rounds of the playoffs. Right, right. You know, which is the format the NHL goes with, but... Um, uh, you know, Pittsburgh right now has got goalie questions with Trish and Jari is out right now. Um, Washington, you never know what you're going to get in goal for them. I mean, that's the whole thing in the Eastern Conference. There's only one team that you're confident in your goalie. Yep, right here. I mean, Shosturkin maybe. I mean, if he performs like he did I the regular so. season in the playoffs, then okay. But, well, and I think, I think you have to at least, and you're right about playoffs are different, right, and mm-hmm. all that, but you have to at least. It didn't, it didn't rattle Vasilevsky when he got into his first playoff series. You know what I'm saying? Like he was great, and mm-hmm. he was pretty good then too. He even played when Ben Bishop got hurt. Well, he, uh, he you know, his first day. few playoff games were when Bishop got hurt, or he's coming in relief yeah. Bishop, and, and yeah, Adam, yeah. He got know. his he got his he got his feet wet that way. Yeah. But but was he the goalie he was then? That no, he is probably now, not. Right? Yeah, probably not. It probably you know, you're right. He probably that experience probably helped him the next time when it was his show. Because here's the thing about the playoffs, and and this is what makes it so tough is that, and why scoring goes down and such. And some of it you could say the refs, and that's a part of it, sure. There's yeah, they don't call crap. But <laughs> every team's on the same amount of rest. Yeah. Every right. team, now you're preparing for a team. I mean, you know, I heard it was uh, Mike Sullivan, who's a TSN analyst, uh, who was a former player. He says, in the regular season, you might get a pamphlet on, okay, here's how we attack this goalie tonight, and, or this defense, this team. Because you're coming off a back-to-back, and... You know, it's like you go out there and play your game. In the playoffs, you're now game planning for that team. And everything you do, and then you're making adjustments after game one, and you're making adjustments to the goalie. And, the, and it's you're not just going out there and, and playing hockey like you do in the regular season. I mean, you're doing some video on the other team in this, yes. But in the playoffs, everything's amplified, and you have more rest. You have more time. Nobody's coming off a of back-to-back, and you had three days off or vice versa. And – Every little detail of that game, you're breaking down on video and scouting and, and changing it up for the next game and preparing for, which doesn't happen in the regular season. It's not like the NFL where you spend all week game planning for a game because there's only 16 of them. That's not the way the hockey season or an NBA season or a baseball season is. Yeah, you have scouting reports in this pitcher and stuff, but it's not as in-depth as what you get in the playoffs. And so the, the type of games in the playoffs for those sports change drastically because of the preparation, because it's a best-of-seven series, not we're in this city for one day and out and on to the next team and, and we're playing 30 different teams this year, or 31. It, it, it's different in that way. And so how does an Igor Shosturkin who's never been in the playoffs adjust to that? Right. Because you have one good game, but then they find, hey, we, if we do this to him, we're, you know, it's, it's that those, those games of adjustments throughout the playoffs of how teams attack and forecheck or back check right. or their gaps or, you know, whatever it is that they're the power play, the penalty kill, everything is, is, you know, game plan for more than the regular season. And it's, it's, so it's a different game in the playoffs. Well, and that gets to coaching, and John Cooper has won two Stanley Cups. He's mm-hmm. made those adjustments, and, and you know, if you think about the NFL, I always look at the coach-quarterback matchups. You can look at the coach-goaltender matchups mm-hmm. and, and try to figure out who you like best. Yep. But So that's all part of it. All right, Kevin gave us a great question. We're going to save for next week. 
Okay. And it's uh, continuing down misery lane. And, and by the way, <laughs> the feedback we've gotten I when know. we asked for feedback from yesterday's <laughs> podcast know. has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, some great ideas for the podcast and stories we, and, and that. And thank you. Very we much. might just have a Misery Lane once a week podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tomorrow, Misery Lane. It's Misery yeah. Lane Day. Yeah, but I, I really mm. like Kevin's question, so I want to save it for next week when we have time to get into it. And it's a really good question about Misery Lane and, and Tampa Bay sports. So. Well, that sounds great. All right, so we got the NFL draft uh, today, later tonight, maybe even into the wee hours of Friday morning. Let's see yeah, when well, they make a pick. Wake me up after they pick and we're ready <laughs> oh, to record. I know. Well, that's the thing, folks. You don't want to see how the sausage is made, but it'll be made very late or early, uh, as the case may be. But uh, hopefully they'll take a player. If they don't, we'll just talk about what they didn't do. Uh, we'll talk about the NFL draft. So we'll have all things NFL draft for you. Um, Appreciate you listening. Great questions, as always. You can send those to us at any time. You can do that on Twitter at NFL Stroud, at SportsDayTB, or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Verstick, I am Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.